So it's great that we are making great strides towards curing cancers of all types with especially this new generation of immunotherapies. And of course, there are vast efforts underway to see what other cancer types we can apply our current generation of immunotherapies to. I think I'm a basic biologist at heart, given my background in like trying to understand the, the fundamental mechanisms behind gene regulation. And so what I would be really excited about is the potential uh, backflow of some of these insights from cancer research towards our understanding of biology. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss genomics research and how new discoveries are shaping our understanding of science and nature. I'm your host, Andrew Hinton. Today, we are talking with Dr. Chu about the intersection of developmental biology and immunotherapy, with the discovery of genes that have significant roles in both fields. Our immune systems serve us by identifying foreign agents in our bodies and then removing them from our systems. It can also detect endogenous cancer cells that present new mutations. In our lifetime, it is likely that our immune systems will have removed potential cancer-forming cells multiple times, but we would never have noticed. However, when cancers evolve to evade the immune system or even to suppress it, cell growth can progress to a disease state. Immunotherapy is an exciting field of medicine that has expanded significantly in the last decade. There are several different ways researchers have devised to stimulate the immune system to find and destroy cancer cells. Among the most common therapies are tumor-based vaccines, engineered T-cells, and checkpoint inhibitors. Although these methods show positive results in many patients, there are also a large number of patients who do not respond to immunotherapies. Therefore, there is a great need to develop new biomarkers that can help differentiate patients who would benefit from immunotherapy from those who would not. This is also referred to as risk stratification. There is also great interest in understanding the mechanisms of immune evasion in cancer, so that we might develop new methods to overcome immune suppression, thereby converting non-responders into responders. Dr. Chu is a research fellow at the Cancer Science Institute of Singapore. His current research efforts focus on developmental genes that are normally silenced in adult somatic cells, but can promote tumor growth when they are reactivated in cancers. Dr. Chu recently reported that one of these developmental genes, DUX4, helps tumor cells to evade the immune system. Let's talk to Dr. Chu about his exciting new discoveries and how he hopes that his research may translate into new findings in developmental biology or into new therapeutic methods. Welcome, Dr. Chu, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be on this podcast. So today we're here to talk about your discovery of developmental genes that are reactivated in cancer cells and your efforts to find ways to restore immune activity in these cancers. But before we get into that, could you begin by describing your scientific background and what brought you into studying developmental genes and their role in immune evasion? It's funny how things have come pretty much a full circle for me scientifically. I'm currently mostly a computational biologist nowadays analyzing cancer transcriptomes. I actually started out as a wet lab biologist, and my undergraduate research was with Hiller Plew's lab back when he was still at the Whitehead Institute. And he is actually an immunologist and cell biologist who takes advantage of 
how pathogens evade the immune system to understand the fundamentals of cell biology. And I was a biochemist in his lab, purifying proteins, including cytokines and chemokines, and trying to chemically label them with molecular probes. And so, so that was what I did as an undergrad in the lab. But even during that time, developmental biology was always something that fascinated me. The idea that a single cell with one genome can give rise to the morphological and functional complexity that is us. So in grad school, I looked towards developmental biology labs and rotated with only developmental biology labs, trying out different model systems, model organisms. And ultimately, I joined Alex Shear's lab where I ended up studying long non-coding RNAs and translational regulation during early zebrafish development. And then during my time there, I used ribosome profiling, not only to understand whether long non-coding RNAs were really non-coding, but also to understand how regular coding transcripts might be regulated by translation at their upstream open reading frames in their 5' untranslated regions or 5' UTRs. And then after graduating, I pivoted towards a postdoc in genomics to try to understand uh, the molecular basis of human disease. And I, was, I did that with Robert Bradley's lab at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. So my work was initially focused on understanding the molecular mechanisms uh, underlying uh, facioscapular humeral muscular dystrophy, for which uh, Dux4 is known to be the causal gene for the disease. But then we actually noticed that it was expressed in many different cancers. And so I ended up going down that rabbit hole. And so that's how I ended up studying a developmental gene and its role in immune evasion in cancers. So honestly, I wasn't exactly looking for to study a developmental gene or its role of immune evasion in cancer. But I suppose my background kind of led me and skewed me towards that as I was in my postdoc and just where I am now. Wow, that's quite a journey. <laughs> yes. So in uh, 2019, you published a paper in Developmental Cell entitled DUX4 Suppresses MHC Class 1 to Promote Cancer Immune Evasion and Resistance to Checkpoint Blockade. And in this paper, you reported that DUX4, a gene previously described in early development, which you just alluded to, is misexpressed in many cancers. What approaches did you take that led to the discovery of this potentially important gene, which seems to have been largely unrecognized in cancer research prior to this report? Um, so like I alluded to, uh, DUX4 is actually better, was better known as the causal gene for facioscapular humeral muscular dystrophy, or FSHD. And so we had been studying that for a bit. And because of how everything was set up, we ended up noticing that for was also re-expressed in many different cancers. So it wasn't exactly that we were looking out to find developmental genes that were re-expressed in cancers. It was almost kind of serendipitous that we came across this expression in cancers and went on to follow up on it. But the great thing about genomic research and being able to do these large comparisons across different cancer types, different tumor types, was that once we found that DUX4 was re-expressed in many different cancers, we were able to go back to the data and say, okay, if DUX4 is, what other genes are re-expressed like DUX4? And with that, we were able to pull out other genes that had similar patterns of expression that might also have other interesting phenotypes when re-expressed in cancers. 
So this would be an example of cases where you went back and looked at data which had already been reviewed for other reasons and was able to evaluate it on this specific purpose with this new target. Yeah, that's great. The DUX4 paper focuses on a mechanism by which these gene helps tumor cells evade the immune system and then renders them resistant to certain immunotherapies. But given the nature of embryonic development with its rapid cell growth and cellular reprogramming, one might also expect these embryonic genes to promote tumor growth through other mechanisms. Are you investigating any of those possibilities as well? So we definitely had these possibilities in mind when we were trying to figure out what Duxbo was doing. But especially given that it makes sense for a developmental gene that when you think of a developmental gene being re-expressed in cancers, the first thing we think of is cell growth and uh, pluripotency. But we Especially given that Dux4 was known to be involved in FSHD, and we knew that it had a potentially cytotoxic role in FSHD, we thought that, okay, we should probably take a step back and take an unbiased approach to trying to figure out what Dux4 was doing in these cancers. So for this unbiased approach, we analyzed the transcriptomes of all the tumors in the Cancer Genome Atlas, or TCGA, and we compared the tumors that expressed Dux4 to those that didn't, and then used this analysis to tell us what sorts of genes were different between these two groups of tumors that expressed Dux4 or didn't express Dux4. And so we found, like, it was a pretty surprising result that consistent across multiple cancer types, we found that genes associated with immunity were reduced in the Dux4 expressing samples, which told us that probably the most prominent molecular phenotype was something to do with immunity, possibly with immune evasion. So that's what we followed up on. So you mentioned there may be other developmental genes that are misexpressed in cancers with similar roles, and it makes sense that this might be the case. And until recently, I would have assumed that these misexpressed embryonic genes would have already been well characterized in cancer. And it it sounds like you kind of stumbled onto the role with DUX4 because you were already working on it in another context. But if you're looking at these other embryonic genes, are there specific challenges associated with identifying significant roles for them? So one very important thing about analyzing these transcriptome data, especially these bulk transcriptome data from tumors, is that the tumors are um, heterogeneous. Uh, heterogeneous. They include the tumor cells themselves, as well as the microenvironment, as well as infiltrating immune cells. So one of the really important things that we had to figure out was to make sure that whatever genes that we were looking at that were misexpressed, that they actually indeed came from the cancer cells themselves and not necessarily from the immune cells. So, so that was one thing that there were computational ways of like te- potentially teasing that apart. So that's one important aspect of it to figure out whether or not the genes are indeed from the cancer cells. Another thing that was important to follow up on was causality, right? So we have these genes that are misexpressed in we presume misexpressed in the cancer cells, but are they driving the phenotype that we are seeing? Or might they simply be associated with it by some other means, such as immune editing? So to establish like whether or not these genes are doing what we think they're doing in the cancer cells, and ultimately, we always have to go to experiments. And so these may be experiments done by others. Like, for example, when, if you were to explore transcriptome data that others have generated in experiments, or otherwise, we'll, have, we'll do them ourselves to figure out, establish causality at least in model systems, as well as if they indeed do what we think they're doing. So you mentioned the problem of distinguishing 
which genes are expressed in the tumor cells versus in the immune cells. Is that strictly a computational method that you can apply to data sets that you're obtaining from the past, or is that something you have to set up in the experimental design to start with? We would normally try to apply it computationally first. So for example, if we think that a particular gene is associated with the cancers in the cancer cells themselves, we would look for correlations going the directions that we would expect them to. However, ultimately, I would consider these to be initial analyses that ultimately will have to be followed up by experiments. Yeah, we, would, we have to see it for ourselves to, to, to really be sure of the results. So DUX4 is one of many examples of genes that promote cancer by changes in expression levels rather than a mutation in its coding region. And such genes would often be missed by standard DNA-based genomic methods. And as you've shown in your paper, such genes can be detected by RNA-seq or perhaps epigenetic analyses. So in the future, how do you view the role of transcriptome analysis or other relevant methods being used in tumor profiling in the efforts to identify and develop biomarkers for precision oncology? So I think that transcriptome analysis is extremely, uh, like RNA-seq data itself is extremely rich. Like not only do you get information about how much the genes are expressed, but like because the genes, genes tend to be expressed in programs, you have some idea of what kind of state a cell might be in, or like potentially, especially in a mix and in a bulk sample, what other populations might be within a sample. So that information is extremely rich. So I think it pairs very well. It's just transcriptome data pairs really well with uh, the DNA sequencing data. DNA sequencing data has its own issues with the noise of passenger mutations, especially in, in cancer data. So it may be that there may be different mutations that ultimately converge on activating key oncogenic pathways or suppressing key tumor suppressor pathways. And so some of that we may be able to read out directly from the transcriptome. So I think there's potential for RNA-seq to complement DNA-based methods, especially when the DNA-based methods alone may be inconclusive in what we may be able to discern from them. I think another very important area where RNA-seq-based methods could be applied would be in the non-genetic diseases, for example, uh, the metabolic diseases like diabetes or liver disease, where they're not as fundamentally genetic as cancer. And there, I think RNA-seq, especially in patients, can go a really long ways to understanding what is happening biologically in patients. So you're currently undergoing efforts to understand the mechanism by which DUX4 and perhaps these other developmental genes are reactivated in these adult tissues. So what technical challenges are there in these efforts and what innovations are you using to overcome such challenges? In the case of DUX4, it's actually been quite impossible to figure out in the cancers what is directly causing DUX4 to be reactivated. So while we had found DUX4 to be expressed in many different tumors in many different cancer types, for each individual cancer type, it's not expressed in a very large proportion of the cancer type. So simply, we do not have the statistical power to do the usual analyses of trying to figure out what genes might be leading to DUX4's reactivation in an unbiased way. So what we have had to do is to tap on our existing knowledge from these genes in other contexts. So especially with DUX4, uh, we tapped into what is known 
in its reactivation in FSHD. And so we took a candidate approach and looking at the relevant genes that had been studied for might be known to reactivate DUX4 in the context of FSHD, we found we were able to detect at least uh, some enrichment in mutations in these genes being associated with a re-expression of DUX4. So, so the point is that it is there are many genes in which mutations may ultimately lead to DUX4's reactivation, but we wouldn't have the confidence in any individual mutation leading to DuxWars reactivation, and that may not necessarily be the case depending on the context. So I think what ultimately matters is being able to detect DuxWars reactivation directly, as opposed to not necessarily finding genes that lead to its reactivation. And moving forward, the focus may have to be on, if you're thinking about therapeutic efforts towards targeting DuxWars, we may instead focus on DuxWars itself and downstream pathways rather than pathways that may lead to DuxWars activation. So your paper provides strong evidence that DUX4 mediates immune evasion in tumors. And you also mentioned that other developmental genes might also have similar roles. So it will be really exciting to see how these discoveries translate into developing new biomarkers to stratify patients for therapy selection, or even to manipulate these genes to develop new target therapies. So can you talk about how you're approaching these goals and what challenges you face in these efforts? I mean, overall, this is a very hard question to pick out a new gene and try to figure out what it's, it might be doing, given its expression is, could be in many different cancers. So a key aspect to our approach that we use for DUX1, what I hope might translate to other genes, is that we have been able to establish the molecular activity of a particular gene in the context of human disease, as well as in experimental models, uh, whether they be cell-based models or animal models. So like, for example, in the case of DUX4, DUX4 is a transcription factor. So we know that it binds to DNA and activates known transcriptional targets. And this leads to a very characteristic signature of gene activation that we were able to design methods for detecting this in RNA-seq data. And so with this, we were able to establish that DUX4 was indeed active in the patients in the same way that it's active in the experimental context. And this even matched up with what is known with what kind of genes turn on at the same time that DUX4 turns on in this endogenous context during embryonic development. And so with, with this, what I would call a molecular lock on what DUX4 is doing in patients as well as in models, this makes it a lot more, it makes us a lot more confident in moving forward with future work in teasing apart the activity of DUX4 and what this function might be. So I hope to use a very similar approach in understanding the molecular activity of other genes, but then it's what would be key is understanding the what a gene is actually doing molecularly and then being able to design an RNA-seq-based method to detect this activity in patients and experimental models before moving forward with both in lockstep. So in your paper, I was particularly intrigued by the mention that expression of DUX4 in tumors promotes immune evasion, but when DUX4 is expressed in muscular dystrophy, it promotes apoptosis. Are you excited by the idea that understanding the mechanism in one disease could lead to the development of a therapy for the other disease? And if so, what kind of approaches are you considering in trying to decipher these two complex systems that seem to have opposite characteristics 
in the response to this gene. So it's this idea of the same gene leading to two different, very different outcomes in disease was definitely something that was a primary motivator behind this project. Although the initial genesis for this project was actually quite interesting. We were aware of DEX4 being expressed in reactivated in FSHD. And actually, the, our first knowledge of DEX4 being reactivated in cancers came from its reactivation in B-cell lymphoblastic leukemias, actually, where DEX4 is translocated into the immunoglobulin heavy chain locus, and leads, that leads to a very high expression that drives certain subtype of B-cell leukemia. So that was pretty interesting. So that drove our initial research efforts, but then we serendipitously noticed that Duxwell was expressed in solid cancers as well. And so we thought that, okay, we have Dux4 being expressed in FSHD, that's like a solid-ish mass, and it's causing cell death. And then we have Dux4 in highly expressed in leukemias, and that's oncogenic. So we weren't able to reconcile both of these situations and maybe looking at the solid cancers in TCGA might give us a clue on what might be going on in all three. And so this phenotype of immune evasion was not something that we had expected, but now that we have found it, we do intend to go back to looking at the B-cell lymphoblastic leukemias as well as FSHD to explore if there are indeed whether or not immune modulation, immune evasion may play a role in those situations as well. So it's exciting to learn about new discoveries and cancer-immune interactions and the intersection between developmental and cancer biology. So my final question is, what excites you about the future of immunotherapy and precision oncology? It's great that we are making great strides towards curing cancers of all types with especially this new generation of immunotherapies. And of course, there are vast efforts underway to see what other cancer types we can apply our current generation of immunotherapies to. I think I'm a basic biologist at heart, given my background in trying to understand the, the, the fundamental mechanisms behind gene regulation. And so what I would be really excited about is the potential uh, backflow of some of these insights from cancer research towards our understanding of uh, biology. So, and as well as like, especially if you are studying multiple diseases, whether or not such insights can flow towards other diseases as well. So for the example of DUX4, Yes, it would be really exciting to see ducks for what we know about immune evasion being applied to B-cell leukemias as well as in FSHD to explore the immune components. But something that really excites me is, okay, we had not known that ducks for may have an immunosuppressive role and does it indeed have the same role in embryonic development, which is not something that has been explored previously. So I'm definitely excited about cancer therapy moving forward, but what really um, excites me is the, the potential for new discoveries in fundamental biology that were otherwise pretty, we, we wouldn't have been looking for it. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Dr. Chu, and I look forward to seeing how your efforts will shape the uh, precision oncology landscape in the future, as well as the developmental biology landscape in the future. Yes, and thanks for chatting with me, Andrew. Great. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today. If you like today's show, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. We'll talk to you next time at the Illumina Genomics Podcast.